the branch and how that it can apply to all of us and we all do dumb things eh we've all got stories of, of doing things and then regretting it and how God has always come through and saved us and so thank you bro all right looking forward to hearing from Eric this morning so why don't we welcome him up he's going to share the message with us thanks Rick. morning all and uh, happy Father's Day to the fathers among us Erica sent me a definition of a dad this morning, which I thought was um, pretty good. Let me see if I can f- open it up. Said, the man who loves you unconditionally, gives you the best advice, and has the worst dance moves. <laughs> that is so accurate for me, anyway. Yeah. You can always count on him above everyone else. Also referred to as a taxi driver, Mr. Fixit, and creator of the dad joke. That is me to a T, guys. Especially the the bad dance moves. Uh, I cannot hold my own on a on a on a dance floor. Hey, um, let's just. Sorry. I'll get there. Give me, give me time. I did I did read one the other day about a guy who, he he was telling his friend he didn't have enough money to pay the electricity bill. He said those were the darkest days of my life. <laughs> That's a pretty pretty good dad. Yeah. Hey, let's just pray and uh, commit this uh, message to the Lord. Lord, I'm just so aware that I cannot do anything in my own strength that has eternal value. And this morning, Lord, invite your Holy Spirit to speak through me, to speak to people's hearts, to change lives, and Lord, to, to put a whole anointing on the message this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> yeah, I can relate. Um, Sammy, it was, a, it was a great testimony. Thank you. Um, here, here's your joke of the day. So there was, a, there was a, 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 a pastor who was filing out after the sermon, and, and one of the people who usually gave him feedback on a sermon said to him, this morning your sermon reminded me of the peace and love of God. And the pastor sort of fluffed his chest up, and he says, that sounds great. What do you mean by that? And he says, well, the peace of God because it passed all understanding and the love of God because it endured forever. <laughs> so I hope, I hope my sermon, I uh, hope, hope the sermon this morning doesn't um, fall into either of those categories. So first of all, we're going we're gonna to read from Luke if you want to turn to it, if you've got your Bibles, Luke 1, uh, Luke 11. <clears throat> we're going to going to talk this morning about a scripture that I think has been uh, quite commonly misinterpreted, um, and we'll dig it a little deeper to find out what the what the real meaning meaning is. But let's uh, let's start with this Luke eleven one to ten. Uh, Jesus was praying one day. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples, John the Baptist." And he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Of course, Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, has a couple of extra verses about uh, delivering from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And in verse 5, Luke 11, And Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend 
and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door's already locked, my children are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. In verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up, get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Um, that verse bothers me, verse 8, because I just can't believe God is someone who would give in to nagging. It's almost suggesting we need to badger God for our answers to prayer, right? The shameless, because of your shameless audacity, he will give you what you ask for. You all know that God doesn't answer prayers in the ways that we expect. Sometimes no answer is the answer to prayer. So that verse bothers me, and um, I was, um, you know, I think we need to dig a little deeper just to make sure that the interpretation is correct. Okay. So I want to read you another scripture that is often used to reinforce that interpretation of Luke 11, and that's in Luke 18, 1 to 8. If you've got your Bibles, have a look at that one. Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. Adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she eventually won't come round and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So we're going to dig into that scripture, Luke 18, a little bit deeper first, because it's been used to reinforce Luke 11. Okay, so first we have to understand the context. Um, widows were treated quite um, with, with some privilege in Israel. They were given gleanings from the field um, by law. They were, the part of the tithe was given to widows and orphans. Judges were told to execute uh, justice for the fatherless and the widow. All of this is in Deuteronomy around uh, chapter 10. Now, Jesus doesn't specify who this widow's adversary, adversary was or what he had done to the widow, but this widow goes to the judge to get him to execute judge, justice. And because he ignores her plea, she continues to keep coming to him. And finally, the judge reasons, well, she's never going to stop. He's never going to get peace until she gets a ruling. So even though he doesn't care for her at all, he rules in her favor. <clears throat> now, to understand the passage and what Jesus is really saying here, you need to think about uh, a wider passage, called, which we call a sense unit in our deeper Bible studies. And a sense unit... Um, is a, it can consist of more than just the chapter uh, differentiators in your Bible. So in this one, you get a clue from the first word in, chapter, in verse 1. It says, then Jesus told the parable. So there must be something beforehand that pertains to it, that's relevant to it. So if, if you look in Luke 17, 20, Jesus is starting to talk about his second coming. He was uh, encouraging his disciples to maintain the faith until he comes again. Keep praying even when Christ doesn't appear to seem in any hurry to return. 
And the sense unit ends with Luke 18.8. So the sense unit is 17.20 to 18.8. That passage of scripture has to be read together in order to understand it properly. But in Luke 18.8, it says, um, I tell you, he, God, will give justice to them, his elect, speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So it's clear that the, the message in the scripture is about maintaining the faith. You keep praying because you have faith that God, God will answer you. You don't keep praying in order to nag him or badger him for an answer. All right? It's about maintaining faith. It's not about nagging God uh, for an answer. And Jesus was saying that if an unrighteous judge will eventually give in to the widow's repeated requests, then how much more so will God, who's a righteous judge, answer our prayers? That's what he's saying. Um, and I, I want to point out, that the assumption in this scripture is clear that the judge is being contrasted with God. He's not a type of God. This is an unrighteous um, judge. He's a lazy judge. How can you say that that's a type of God? So it's being contrasted with God. If this unrighteous judge um, will answer eventually after, some, after, after the persistence of the, of the seeker, how much more will a righteous God, our God, answer prayers? So just keep that word in mind, contrast. And let's go back to Luke 11. So we need to have a look at that word persistence again. It is the Greek word uh, anaidea. Some of our Bible scholars will know how to pronounce it. Um, it's, it should be on the, on the front of your newsletter. Anaidea. And the common interpretation in the Bibles that we read is um, persistence. But it's the Greek word shamelessness. It's typically translated as boldness, persistence, and impudence in the Bible and and commentaries around the Bible. But that's the only use of this Greek word in the entire New Testament. And the only time that word is used outside of the Bible is um, its interpretation as um, disgrace, shamelessness or disgrace. Um, if you search the Thesaurus Linguae Graciae, our Bible scholars will know what that is. It's a, it's a database of about 10,000 Greek, Greek works over a period of a um, couple of hundred years. There are 258 occurrences of that word, but they all are negative in the sense of disgrace or shamelessness. Um, so let's... Let's look at the assumption that uh, underlies that um, interpretation of Luke 11.8. First of all, we assume that the grumpy neighbor is a type of God. So when we persist in our prayers, God will answer us. It's, 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 rather than contrasting, it's assuming the grumpy neighbor is a type of God. Um, what if, you know, middle, in Middle Eastern um, culture, it's a highly valued um, quality of hospitality is a highly regarded quality. Uh, when you you entertain people at the drop of a hat, people turn up at your door needing a place to stay, you, you, you entertain them. So I want to ask a question, what if this grumpy neighbour is actually a contrast to God? Imagine if, um, if someone came knocking at my door at 12 o'clock at night asking to borrow my car because his wife was in labour and his car wouldn't start. If I refused him, think of the shame that I would face from my neighbours or from anyone who knew what I had done. 
Uh, and this is, this is what I think this story is saying. The, the shamelessness is referring to the, in, uh, to, the, to the guy in the house. It's not the guy who's asking for help. So um, if, you, if, if we reread that uh, passage in Luke, here's what it might say if we, if we uh, think of it in that sense. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught the disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive anyone who sins against us. And lead us not to temptation. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed. I can't up and give you... Can't Get up and give you anything. I tell you, and here's my rephrase, even though your friendship with him might not be enough, he will give you bread to avoid the shame of giving you nothing. I think that's what the scripture is saying. And that's why um, when you look at the whole scripture, it goes on to say, if you ask and it will be given you, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and those who seek, find, and those who knock, the door will be opened. He's referring to our good father in contrast to the grumpy neighbor, right? If a grumpy neighbor will give you bread because he's ashamed of not giving you anything, then how much more so will our heavenly father who loves us give us what we need on a daily basis? That's the interpretation of the scripture. It's not nagging God that gets anything. It's the goodness of God and giving to us, right? So... We move on to part four of that um, of that passage. We call it that sense unit, which starts at Luke eleven one and finishes at Luke eleven thirteen. There are actually four parts in there. There's the there's the uh, the Lord's prayer. There's the story. That's the parable of the grumpy neighbour. Then there's the bit about asking, seeking, and finding. And then from verse eleven, there's the part four, which suddenly, out of nowhere, introduces the Holy Spirit. So verse 11 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the whole theme is there. First of all, it starts with daily bread. And you remember the neighbor in the parable is asking for bread. Um, and, and then it talks, ask and you will find. Uh, ask and you will receive. And then he's talking about um, God giving us the Holy Spirit when we ask for him. The whole theme of this, this, the, the chapter is about God's goodness to us and giving us what we need and what we ask for um, because he loves us. But why is the Holy Spirit suddenly the focus? This is the first time it's been mentioned in this, in this unit. I wonder if it's related to uh, the prayer and the, and the Lord's Prayer about um, asking God's kingdom to be established on earth because it can only be through the Holy Spirit. Let's look at a few Holy Spirit scriptures. Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Luke 3.16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. 
And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John 14, 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sent in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Acts 1, 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And Titus 3, 5, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So could it be that this prayer, the Lord's prayer, when we ask God's kingdom to be established on earth, is asking for the Holy Spirit to come and work through us to establish his kingdom on this earth and in us? Could it be? It seems to, to link with the scripture. It seems to make it coherent and um, integrated. So, when we pray, do we recite the Lord's Prayer by rote, never letting the deep message that Christ was conveying reach our hearts? So many times we repeat the Lord's Prayer in church, but how often does it actually um, give meaning? Pastor Andrew wrote a very good book called The Model Prayer, and it's available online. He can tell you where, but if you do a Google search on his name and that title... Uh, or the Lord's Prayer, you'll, you'll come up with that one and you can download it. It's a great guide on how to use the Lord's Prayer as a model for our daily um, prayer life. But I can tell you that we can confidently ask for our daily needs, knowing that he's not a grumpy neighbour and who we have to badger for a response because he loves us. And by asking every day, we're not badgering God for an answer. We're indicating to him that we continue to have faith that he will act. We know he's not an unrighteous judge who will ignore us. Right? We, ask, we can confidently ask for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, empower us, and help us grow God's kingdom on earth because God is a good father, our heavenly father. That's the message of that uh, scripture. So I'm going to finish with a, a paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. That's my paraphrase. You can make up your own. Having heard this and heard the real meaning of that um, passage in Luke 11, um, you, you change that model to suit, uh, to suit what you have heard and what the Lord is speaking to you about. But let's pray together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we revere you and we honour you. We look forward to your kingdom being established here as it is in heaven. Please empower us through your Holy Spirit to continue the work of building your kingdom, both in our hearts and in this world. May your will be accomplished here just as it is in heaven. Please take care of our daily needs. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Please spare us from temptation and let no evil befall us. For you are in total control, Father. All power and glory belong to you now and forever. Amen. I hope that was useful to you.